verses 1 through 12. Um, please feel free to follow along on the screen behind me. Um, follow along in your own Bible or simply listen. So get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. You are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for a great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priest. Through the meditation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. And the scriptures say, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for a great honor, and anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Yes, you who trust him recognize the honor God has given him. But for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And he is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word, and so they meet the fate that was planned for them. But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy... Now you, have mercy. now you have received God's mercy. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Amen. Let's just pray before we hear the word of God this morning. Father, we pray that you would open our ears to hear that which you want us to hear this morning, Lord, that uh, as I minister the word of God, Lord, you would use me as your vessel, uh, Lord, that your wonderful truth will be proclaimed uh, for all to hear. In Christ Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Um, this week was a bit of a challenging week for me as um, a number of things were taking place. And um, uh, the other day, I got um, into a bit of a fight. Um, and uh, this was a little bit worse than a street fight. I don't know if uh, uh, any of you have been in fights um, and, and uh, something has happened or taken place. And um, uh, many of you know I'm from the Detroit area. And so um, this fight that I got in was not a fight with another person, but it was a fight, uh, a spiritual fight, and it was a fight against the flesh. 
Um, for those of you who've been joining us at the beginning of uh, this year, we've been entering into a time of consecration. And it's a time where we have set aside um, uh, this year, two weeks uh, at the beginning of the year to consecrate or to set apart or to give over to God um, this year. And so with this uh, time of two weeks, uh, we've taken time to fast and to pray. And I want to thank those who have joined us on the morning prayer calls and also invite those of you who are here today, if you uh, didn't know about the consecration or if the Holy Spirit uh, leads you to join in, uh, on your way in, there was a quick guide um, that's there that just has a little bit more of the information about the consecration. And also, uh, there is a telephone number there, and if you text it, it'll send you the full 20-page uh, guide that holds all the scripture references and uh, everything else that uh, we have. But... Um, Consecration, uh, there's this realization that at the end of consecration, there is a great joy and benefit that will come. But usually for me, the first three days are the most challenging and roughest days. And the reason why is the fight between the flesh becomes all so evident when we make a determination to fast and to consecrate. And I don't know about you, but it seems that every time that we have consecration is when everyone wants to invite me out for a free dinner or at work, everyone wants to bring in a big cake or something that is tempting uh, in order to get me to give up on what I've committed before the Lord. And one of the things that I love about the process of consecration is that consecration helps to expose what I am really craving on the inside. Can we, can, can we, can we talk a little bit? I, I can't tell all the kids and all these, but do you have some cravings that, uh, you know, people don't know about? My, you know, for a season, my craving was Dunkin' Donuts. They had a Reese's peanut butter donut. And I love Reese's peanut butter. But, like, there are these cravings. And one of the things is that when you have a craving or, 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 or when you've gotten an appetite for something, it's amazing how it can sneak in so suddenly and you don't realize before you know it, it has become something that you've become addicted to or something that has something that you must have or it must take place. And the only way that you know that you are addicted to it is when you're asked to give it up. And so consecration is almost like a doctor going in and doing an x-ray, examining what's really in your heart. What are you craving? What is the thing that nourishes you? And here is the challenge is that as life goes on, we get into seasons and, and, and periods of time where because of the patterns or things that are happening, we get into sometimes some unhealthy appetites or unhealthy patterns. I remember back when I was in college, I would usually put on about five to 10 pounds around exam time. And, and, and I realized that the 
reason that happened was because around exam time, I was eating and munching, and all the studying had to be accompanied by food. I thought, the more food that you eat, the more you remember what you're learning. And so that was my practice or spiritual discipline uh, at that season, and I would gain that weight. But those cravings, if we did not pay attention, they become habits that form, and then all of a sudden we don't realize the patterns that now have become normal. And in a time of consecration, it allows us to lay those patterns down and also to realize and to recalibrate some of our cravings and appetites. Some of us are here today and we realize that in 2019, there are some things that the Lord wants to recalibrate in our lives. But we've got to allow him Yield our lives to him to allow him to do it. This craving is uh, reflected here as we see the beginning here in the passage here in 1 Peter. As, uh, uh, as the apostle Peter is sharing, he begins with this instruction. And chapter 1 talks about this process of coming out of darkness into the light. And in verse uh, number 1 through 3, the Apostle Peter begins talking about getting rid of things, getting rid of these things that are hindering us. And what does he say there in 1 Peter 2? He says, get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, unkind speech. He begins to tell us that there are some appetites, some things that we've picked up that do not belong to our nature as followers of Christ. And he then begins to say, like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you may grow into a full experience of salvation. I know we've got a lot of young babies in the house, and one of the things that is amazing to see with babies is, uh, you know, I'm in the stage now, I've got three, six, and nine, but I remember the seasons where it was just constant cry, poop, and sleep. Those were the, the patterns of the baby, and it was amazing because with a cry, there were certain cries that you knew, and what the baby was crying for was, give me my milk, and you was, it would be amazing because you could hear a baby crying all the way down the street but the minute that the baby smells even that milk and it just comes close to the lip quiet it's craving pure spiritual milk what the word of God tells us is that the position that we are desired to be that God desires for us to be is in a place where our appetite is for the things of God. And it's so, it's so needed that we know that we cannot go, we can't go weeks or months and stretches without having our daily nourishment, the word of God, and being in relationship with God and walking with him. And what we begin to see is that this happens not because we come to church on Sunday after Sunday, because we can come to church and still be disconnected from God. Amen? We can do the rhythm of, I came, I sang, we sang two songs, they did the passing of the peace, we did this, we did that, we did the hokey pokey, and we turned all around, and then we went back home. 
coming to church doesn't change, by itself doesn't change our appetites. But experiencing Jesus and desiring for more of his presence keeps our spiritual appetite attuned to saying, Lord, I want more of you. Let me ask you a question. When is the last time that you said to the Lord, Lord, I want more of your presence? I want to experience you more. Lord, I want to see you work on my job. Lord, I want to see you work in my family. When's the last time that you had to go into a situation and pray your way through and you didn't know how you were going to make it, but you could only rest and rely upon the Lord? What you realize is that Jesus becomes the center cornerstone of all that we believe and place our faith and our hope in. And my prayer for us as a congregation is that in 2019, we would fall desperately in love with God. We would say, God, we want you more. And we, our hearts and our minds would be turned towards him. And more than programs, more than coming out, we would say, Lord, we just want to experience your presence wherever we go, whatever place that we go on our direction, on our work trip, on going to work, that we would experience his presence. At nighttime, we'd experience his presence. When we're home with the kids, we'd experience his presence that his presence would be with us and Peter presents to us an image of what it looks like of a people who are desperately longing for God Peter shows how the Old Testament ideas of the temple the priests and sacrifice all have new meanings in Christ Jesus. If we walk in that understanding of this new meaning, it will help us to recognize the beauty of God's plan, the blessings that we have inherited from Christ, and the sober reality of our call to holiness. Peter makes two declarations about believers here in 1 Peter chapter number 2. If you have it in front of you, we read it this morning. In verse 4 through 5, the first declaration that he makes is that Christ is the, say the, Christ is the living stone or chief cornerstone. And we are living stones that are being built into God's spiritual house or temple. The second declaration that he makes in verse 9, Peter presents a picture of what God's spiritual house looks like. A picture of what God's spiritual house looks like when all of the living stones are arrayed in the correct place. I love what Josh is doing with the map and, and the leadership team in that regards because what God wants us to see is that so much of our Christianity is based upon individualism. But we've got to recognize that our individual walk affects the body of Christ. And the way that God designed it was more than just about your personal relationship, but he designed it so that corporately we would come together and be arrayed together and we'd be able to make this declaration in faith as it says there in verse number nine that the picture of God's spiritual house looks like this a chosen people a royal priest a holy nation God's very own 
possession. None of these transformations are possible without Jesus being the chief cornerstone of our lives, both individually and corporately. Now, what does it mean that Christ is the living stone or the chief cornerstone? To understand Peter's admonition to us, we have to understand a bit of history regarding building. In modern times, we dig a foundation frame, then pour concrete into the crevices and allow that modern foundation and build upon that foundation. And while the modern foundation serves as the same principle as the cornerstone, the process was much manual in ancient times. In ancient building practices, the cornerstone was the principal stone that was placed at the corner of the edifice. It was laid first to ensure that the building would be square and stable. It was the rock upon which the weight of the entire structure would rest. The cornerstone provided strength, and stability. And what we recognize is that this strength and stability came from the fact of the purified nature of the rock that was formed. You see, cornerstones, most of us will think of a brick that looks like a, a manufactured brick or, or something that has been baked in the oven, the kiln. But cornerstones weren't manufactured in a plant. They were excavated from rock quarries and caves. Stonemasons would go deep into ancient rock formations and chisel out the formations that it may have taken hundreds or thousands of years to form. And after finding high quality, purely formed limestone or other rocks, the stonemason would chisel it and transport it for the building project that was taking place. Against this backdrop, Peter uses the metaphor of the cornerstone. Verse 6 through 8 alludes to the Old Testament prophet, prophetic passages in Isaiah. And you see it here written in uh, 1 Peter chapter number 2. And he says, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem chosen for great honor. And anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And he is a stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fail. Jesus becomes more than a foundational fixture. He becomes the living stone because of the power of the resurrection. Could you imagine being in a rock quarry and seeing a great formation there? And Peter said, one of two things would happen. One, you would see that rock and say, my God, that is strong. That has been built over years and time. And that rock will become our foundation. Or, he says, the other option is that it becomes a stumbling block for those who choose to ignore it. 
You ever walked around and stumbled while you're walking or stumbled on a pebble or a rock or there? What he's saying is that Jesus becomes this cornerstone. And either we receive him or he becomes a stumbling block. There are only two options. And the challenge for us is that we want to make him our foundation. And how do we do that? We do that by putting our full trust in this cornerstone. It's not enough to know that he exists. It's not enough to know about him. The only way that we know that we are trusting in him is to put our full weight upon him. Sometimes, you know, God allows us to go into situations where you have no choice but to put your full weight and trust in him. And when you have the cornerstone as the foundation of your life, though things might be difficult and though there might be some times where it doesn't always feel good, you know that you'll survive the challenges that come because he is your rock, and your foundation. The beauty of Christ is that our, as our cornerstone, together we are living stones being built into God's spiritual house or temple. This is a beautiful picture because it begins to now take each and every one of us and to help us to recognize that as we think about each and every one of our lives, that God has placed something within us and each as a living stone, but he's pulling us together. This is the beauty of High Rock and Mars Hill coming together because there are stones that have been weaved in different experiences and different challenges and things that have taken place. And not only is God forming us into living stones, but he's then gathering us together as the body of Christ and with the universal church all together as the body of Christ and we become God's spiritual house or his spiritual temple and he is able to do great and mighty things in and through us. The first thing that we see here is that living stones are God's making. There's something special about being hand crafted. Far uh, from fine leather shoes to custom-made luxury cars, one could appreciate when a team of individuals has devoted themselves to crafting something by hand. And as Peter uses the metaphor of living stones, he envisions an appreciation for the hand craftsmanship of, that not only gave us Christ, but that also makes us into God's spiritual building or his temple. The book of 1 Kings records the depths and detail that Solomon went through to build God's temple. We know that David desired to build a temple before the Lord, but the Lord said to David, you will not be the one to build my temple. Your son Solomon will build it. And so over the course of time, they gathered together all the supplies and the things that were necessary because they wanted to build God a physical house where the Ark of the Covenant could be and where his presence could inhabit. And so they found the finest craftsmen. They found the finest woodworkers. They found the best seams, uh, seams men and seams women in order to be able to do all the craftsmanship and pull together the temple. And in all of that work and all the beauty that they did, 
did, that temple was destroyed. Then a second temple is built. After these times, a second temple is built. And in that, that second temple, as they're building it up, various kings and leaders try to expand upon it. And Herod comes along and, and tries to expand it and use it for his own purposes. And that temple was destroyed. And so when Peter begins to talk about the fact that living stones are God's making, he recognizes that these living stones were a part of the work that God was doing to build up his temple in the way that he designed for it to be. We don't often recognize the depth of the process that was used to make us into living stones. But God has used each and every one of our experiences in order to shape us, to uniquely make us, and to allow us to be the beautiful living stones that he's created us to be. You see, rock quarries have to endure the elements of time, nature, and all types of transformation. But what happens is over time, they are purified so that they're able to perform the function that they are designed to be. Do you know that God never wastes any of the experiences that you go through? Do you know that some of you went through some things in 2018 and you said, God, never, ever, ever again. I don't want to see that. I don't want to experience that. I don't want to have to deal with that anymore. And some of us, we went through some really great things in 2018. And some of us, it was very painful in 2018. But do you know that God never wastes those experiences? He transforms them and uses them so that you can become the living stone that he has created you to be arrayed with the uniqueness of experiences. Yes, I know you went through a difficult period. Yes, I know there were some challenges, but God is using those as a part of how he is making his beautiful temple shine out in order to be able to be used for the glory of God. Which brings me to point number two. The beauty of living stones is seen most poignantly when they are arrayed into God's spiritual house or temple. As I mentioned before, the first temple was built by Solomon in order to uh, have God habitate in. And then over the second time, uh, the second temple being built, King Cyrus of Persia allowed the temple to be rebuilt under the leadership of Zerubbabel. And over the next 400 years after that, a series of Gentile rulers alternatively built up and defiled the second temple. Herod's temple lasted until 87, then in the war, the temple burned down. The readers who were hearing this would have been expecting a physical temple to be rebuilt and to restore the earthly grandeur of the people of Israel. But Acts 17 and 24 reminds us that Jesus came to radically transform the previous system of earthly temples. Acts 17 and 24 says this, he is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. See, everyone was looking for the physical temple. 
But here we see that what was localized to a physical temple has now been radically transformed and replaced by the indwelling of all believers as spiritual temple and a spiritual house. What was localized to a physical structure now is expressed in the hearts of believers all across the world. And the uh, verse in, in Ephesians, it codifies what we see here today. Together, we are his house, house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and the cornerstone in Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him becoming a holy temple for the Lord. So he begins to say that our goal is more than just being individuals, but seeing how do we become the body of Christ, the spiritual house that God has designed for us to be. And lastly, living stones have the responsibility as spiritual priests. Peter closes out his last metaphor with a reorganization of the position of spiritual priesthood. I don't know if you've ever experienced a corporate reorganization. Sometimes it just feels like they just change names around, have the same responsibilities, but they add a few titles there or move a few titles there and do these things. But Jesus comes in and says, I'm going to reorg our whole spiritual system. You see, in the old covenant, mankind could never get to God on his own. He needed a mediator that would go on his behalf and go before God and be able to offer sacrifices for the sins he had committed. Do you know that if we were under the old covenant, we would have probably, I mean, we would have been offering sacrifices all day long because all of us would have sinned. And we would have to continually offer sacrifices. So the old covenant, a priest was there and his spiritual responsibility was that he was going to offer before God the sacrifices. But the priest knew that before he went to offer before God, he had to cleanse himself. The priest dared not go into the holy temple unclean, but he cleansed himself to do the work that God had called for him to do. And in the old covenant, to be a priest was a privilege beyond comparison because it involved entry into the special courts and the holy places of the temple in order to take human concerns before God and apply God's forgiveness. So imagine the shock when Peter now comes to all the people. Now remember, he's talking to all believers the newborn ones and the mature ones. He's talking to all these believers and he makes this declaration. You are holy priests. You are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. Peter wasn't just speaking just to those who were in the line of descendancy of Levi. He was speaking to everyone who had placed their trust in the chief cornerstone. You see, with Jesus's death upon the cross, 
he became our great high priest and removed all mediators between God and man so that we could approach God directly. And that means that he called all of us to be a part of the priesthood of all believers. No longer depending on man or Josh or, or Joseph in order to go before you to offer your prayers. I know some of you come to me and you say, Pastor Joseph, would you pray? Would you pray for me? I know your prayers get through. And I was like, well, they get through just as good as yours do. But recognizing that there is no mediator between God and man except Christ Jesus. And because of his sacrifice once and for all, we can boldly approach the throne of grace. He says that you're a royal priesthood, a chosen people, a holy nation. For a Jewish reader to be a part of royalty was beyond one's natural abilities because royalty was inherited. You didn't just become royalty. You had to be a part of the family lineage. So when Peter comes and says, you are a royal priesthood, you are a holy nation, you are a people belonging to God, their eyes are opened up because how can that be? I, I, I wasn't a part of the family. And Peter begins to say, once you weren't a part, once you were in darkness, but now you have been brought into the light, you've been brought into the family of God, and now you are a part of the family, and as a part of that, you've inherited the rights and responsibilities of being a part of the priesthood of all believers. So when you look to your left and to your right, come on, turn to your neighbor and say, you're looking at royalty. <laughs> come on, find somebody else to tell them you're looking at royalty today. <laughs> See, some of us We've been walking and, and not understanding that a royalty, not in a prideful way, but understanding that we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. You are God's very own chosen people. And he specifically takes time on each and every one of us to form us and to fashion us so that we might be arrayed in the beautiful temple of God. The privilege of priesthood comes with the responsibility, as the scriptures say, that we are to offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. The priest would offer a sacrifice. Often in the old covenant, it would be an animal, some type of offering or a dove or whatever was prescribed to be provided. And now, Peter tells us that under Jesus, a reorg has taken place. We now become the priesthood of all believers. But then he also tells us that we're to offer sacrifices that are pleasing unto God. Well, some would say, all right, Pastor Joseph, so, I mean, are we back in the old covenant times where we're going to offer animals and 
that type of sacrifice? No. Because Christ became the sacrifice once and for all. So then what then does Peter mean when he says that we're called to offer spiritual sacrifice? Well, Romans 12 and 1 tells us what he means. Romans 12 and 1 says, let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is the true way to worship him. You see, it feels good when we say we're a royal priesthood, but what God gives us is the responsibility of daily offering ourselves, offering our bodies, offering our plans, offering our dreams, offering our hopes, offering our futures, offering everything to the Lord as a living sacrifice. Jason, come on up. We are laying down everything that we are. As priests, we have inherited royalty, but also the responsibility of being called to holy living and living a life worthy of the sacrifice that was given unto us. And so what does that challenge us to do? It challenges us to see that God's plans are bigger than just my individual plans. Many of us, we look at our individual plans and we, we like them. We like the way that we've ordered our life and ordered our things. But God's plans are bigger than just our own lives. God is doing something much bigger and beautiful. And the challenge is, is that part of that requires us to even submit to being able to willing to love those who are around us to recognize that we're all a part of what God is doing. The minute that we see life just in the frame of 2019, I got this. I got this on my own. I can do this on my own. We've lost sight of what God created us to be. Together, we are living stones created to be God's spiritual house, which he is forming us and making us into the people that he's called for us to be. So what does it mean? Don't get overwhelmed when some of us are still in the rock quarry. God might be forming us or don't get afraid when God chisels us. How many people were chiseled in 2018? You experience any chiseling by God in 2018? Bible says, uh, don't forsake that. Don't get frustrated because there were some difficult moments. God never wastes an experience. And so all that you may have gone through, some of you already in 2019, it's been six days in, and some of you have went through some craziness already. But don't you know that God can use it for his glory? To him be all the glory and the honor. As we close this morning, there's a simple refrain. We sang it this morning. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. God is not looking for a physical temple to indwell. He indwells into each and every one of us.
human temples that God has created and formed and fashioned for his glory. Will you join us as we sing this morning?